the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. How did it go? Oh, they gave them right proper send-off, didn't they? Yes, I was surprised how many people attended. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I was always under the impression that Richard and Nina were quite solitary, but I think before he got ill, well, he had quite an active social life. Oh, well, that's nice. We met a chap he played in a skiffle band with. Oh, give us a lovely rendition of a bye with me on the T-chess bass. Traumatic for Nina, of course. Yeah, well, I can imagine. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that wonders which one of us is going to be under the weather this week. I'm Gavin. And I don't think we do enough podcasts. Uh, yeah, well, that's one <laughs> way of looking at it. I love how we complain that we're too busy and we have so much things going on and we have podcasts to record every mm-hmm. week and some every couple of weeks and we think, well, what are we going to do now? <laughs> well, well... Why don't we start another podcast? Yeah, <laughs> at least this one will just be once a month and it'll be recording something we'll be doing anyway. Right. So. That's exciting because it's allowed me to buy kit. Right. I like, any excuse, I like buying kit. Any excuse for you to buy kit. It's... <laughs> nice about kit we got today. It's adorable. <clears throat> it's adorable. We now are the proud owners of a PA system. <laughs> <laughs> I do a, um, I do an open mic poetry event here in town once a month and uh at a at a local restaurant and uh we we were doing it with no microphones at all because initially it was supposed to be an open air event in a local park but then Gav after last after the last one said we really just need a PA system it was really just an excuse for you to buy a PA system well but some people are I'm really sure difficult we'll to, to hear. Yeah. And there was a, a noisy bar. We'll get the mic set up so it doesn't pick up, hopefully, a lot of that noise. And right. And then I said, hey, you got this fancy smanty PA system. I bet we can hook it up and record mm-hmm. the the open mics and maybe do an interview for with our feature every month. And cabal. <laughs> We'll have a new podcast. So I'll run out to get more kit. Yeah. <laughs> so I can plug Any the PA excuse. system into the recorder. Any excuse. So, um, Just as well got paid today. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Ten second millionaires. Keep, <laughs> you know, keep your keep your eyes peeled because in the next couple of weeks we'll be recording it on Sunday. And your ears peeled. Yes. So we'll Do be you rec- peel your ears? I don't even think you peel your eyes, do you? You keep your eyes peeled, yes. Yes, you keep your eyes peeled, but I don't understand what that means. I mean, what are you peeling off your eyes? Your eyelids. Oh, okay. Ooh, that's a nasty image. Creepy. Moving on. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, we're recording. So we're recording it on Sunday, and it should be out in a couple of weeks. So um, I'm sure this is just another one of our projects that nobody who watches Coronation Street gives two shits about. But we shall be presenting this on our on our Twitter feed anyway, and we'll probably mention it again. Yeah, it's a it's a new addition to the Common Language Network. <laughs> so now we have Talk of the Street, Common Language, which sounds like we're going to be doing Bourbon versus Scotch. Mm-hmm. Because um, nobody wants to hear us talk about presidents and I prime can't, ministers. I can't blame them. That seems fair comment to me. Yeah, we might do that closer to November, and uh, and SpongeBob SquareCast, which there you go. Second, now, second week in the trot, three minutes in, we've mentioned all podcasts. Yes, <laughs> which now has a Patreon, and hopefully we'll get a Patreon started for this because <sighs> we have so much time. Yeah, to yeah, do right. it. Extra content. <laughs> Still. So, how are you feeling? We seem to be in a bit better shape this week. Yeah, absolutely. Just checking the diagnostics. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming back. It's coming back acceptable. Yeah. I think we're got yeah, over what I, I have was. Uh, stitches in my mouth from my implant. But other than that, and, and it's kind of sore, but especially last night, I forgot that I'd had it done and used a regular toothbrush. Ooh. Yeah, it was not pretty. Yikes. It was not pretty at all. Well, I shall uh, <laughs> relent from punching you in the face for the well, next few days. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And my face appreciates it. Absolutely. <laughs> Anything for my darling? Anything else going on that we haven't talked about? <sighs> How are you, people listening? How are you, kind, kind sirs and ladies? Let us know. How you feeling? What's up? Sure. <laughs> Let us know what you've been thinking about Corey these past few weeks. I think it's been it's been top notch. I think the last, with the exception three or four weeks. of of one storyline, which, which I'm sure y'all know which one I'm talking about. It's still well done, though. It maybe too well done. It it hits too close to the bone, and I have to kind of throw the iPad across the way and just listen to it faintly, as opposed to actually watching it. <laughs> But other than that, you know, it's been a typical, well, actually, it hasn't been typical at all. It's been quite warm, and we haven't really had any. We do have another winter weather advisory coming in, though. Yes, but if (laughs) last week's winter weather advisory were like, oh, we have to hurry up and get the podcast done before the power goes out, and then the power didn't go out. See, you're insisting on tempting fate here, and (laughs) no idea why. I know, it's going to be the flood of the century. and Well, that didn't happen. Although the river is still pretty high. And the river is still pretty Nobody high. Nobody cares. Shall we preamble, my dear? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Knock us out with some of that boom, boom, Corey news. New actor slash character alert. Oh, we need to make a jingle for that. <laughs> Paul Copley will be joining the cast as someone from Evelyn's past. Fans of Emmerdale may recognize him as Obadiah. My mom will recognize him as Mr. Mason from Downton Abbey. This won't be Mr. Copley's first trip to the cobbles. In 2007, he played Ivor Priestley. Ivor Priestley. Ivor Priestley. So I don't think he'll be playing Ivor Priestley. I don't know if Ivor Priestley would have known Evelyn. So there's a lot of speculation going on that he's a a former flame and that might be reignited. And I'm like, no, 
I want Eva Roy to happen. I want Eva Roy to happen. Or is it called? Or are we going Eva with Roy. Eva Roy or Roylin? I think I want to go with Revelin. <laughs> but that sounds like Scooby Doo saying it. Revelin. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now in the mood for a big sandwich. <laughs> and a doobie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jack P. Shepard recently celebrated his birthday with a huge 80s party where he sported a pretty righteous hairband wig. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And a jean jacket. Colson and Ben were on hand in some pretty tacky tracksuits. Tracksuits, yep. The Corey star turned 32 on January 14th, so happiest of birthdays to him. Yes, happy birthday, Jack P. Shepard. Yes. From everyone here. At, yeah. the, <laughs> at the top of the street. Finally, Lucy Fallon's departure date has been set as she only has two filming days left on the show. It's been rumored that she may appear on I'm a Celebrity and she will guest star on Holiday with Jane McDonald reviewing a luxury cruise ship. Lucy's character Bethany will depart the cobbles in March. It's Corey News. <laughs> Our mailbag. <laughs> Tina got in touch with us to say... Uh, Gavin and I have the same opinion that Steve McDonald would be a gentle lover. And then there's a number of <laughs> laugh out loud emojis. And then she goes on to chastise you, Helen, Nick, really? I object that Steve is a Muppet face, but even that would be preferable to Nick's wrinkly-eyed whiny face. Oh, Leanne should be so lucky for a third time. <laughs> Tina then does some hindsight corner work for us, but unfortunately someone had beat her to it. And we also have some hindsight corner work from someone else. Which so, we will get to soon. So let's talk about that. It's a good thing that uh, Ben right. Fry's it's a good thing that Ben Fry's fan page isn't on the Facebook. She would uh she'd be horrified. Oh that was an email. Oh, it was an email. Mm. I thought it I thought she Oh no, it was a Facebook no, message. It was a Facebook, it was a Facebook message. Yeah. <sighs> ben Fry's fan page and I had some fun with with sexy gifts on uh on Twitter on last Sunday about the whole your handle thing. That yes. was quite fun. I, it, I made saw. You, it made you chuckle in church. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight corner. A blue, 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 blue. So I'm going to very quickly say that uh, the WWE Yes Guy was Daniel Bryan. He had a horrid beard. Was it with Daniels and horrid beards? And he retired due to injury in 2016. Mm hmm. But now we have something a little special. Yes! yes! Something a little special for Hindsight Corner. And I have some kit that I hope is going to work here. Ooh. And I have a little soundboard, so I only have to touch this one button. Ooh. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Hindsight Corner. I'm Christy, but you might know me as... If only we knew somebody who lived in Canada and worked <laughs> in a library who has all this access to information... Yes, I'm that Canadian librarian, someone who absolutely adores this podcast Aww. and the fabulous banter between Gavin and Helen, That's and who couldn't resist offering to be a librarian on call to answer two of Hindsight Corner's unanswered questions. So I'm going to dive right in with the first question, as it is quite lengthy. And that was, who was fostered and or taken under the wing of Rita Littlewood, Bates, Faircloth, Tanner, Sullivan? Now, I had to research quite a bit across a few websites to get this information, and to be fair, I'm probably still forgetting a few people, but this is what I've managed to dig up. So first up is Terry and Doreen Bates, to whom Rita was the only mother figure they ever really knew Aww. when she was the common law wife to their father, Harry Bates. 
The first foster child she took in was Sharon Gaskell in 1982, with her then-husband Len Fairclough. Len died shortly after, and Sharon eventually left the street in 1984. She then fostered Jenny Bradley, a young teen who worked the paper round for the cabin and who had lost her mother in a tragic hit-and-run in 1986. Jenny's estranged father, Alan, would eventually find his way back into her life, and he and Rita would embark on quite the tram crash of a relationship. <laughs> Following Jenny's departure, Rita didn't officially foster any further children or teens, but she did take many under her wing and developed close bonds and friendships with, most notably Sally Webster in 1994 and Leanne Battersby in 1997. But perhaps one of the closest bonds that Rita had since Jenny was the original Tina. OG <laughs> Tina moved in with Rita after she OG had been evicted OG from Tina. her flat by her ex Jason Grimshaw in 2010. Rita and Tina developed a very close mother-daughter type relationship, and they remained very close, even after Tina had moved out, and up until May 2014, when Tina had admitted she had been having an affair with Peter Barlow and would be leaving <gasps> Weatherfield with him to start a new life. Rita told her she was fooling herself, that he was just using her and he would never leave his wife Carla, pleading with Tina that you are so blind and desperate for someone, anyone, to love you that you can't see that to which OG Tina used the opportunity to throw Rita's past relationships in her face by stating, you'd know all about that, wouldn't you, Rita Tanner Sullivan Faircroft? Love for sale? How much should I write the check out for? At which point Rita slapped her, and Tina ran off in embarrassment. Boom! They never did get the chance to make up, as Tina, finally realizing that Peter was never going to leave his wife, threatened Peter and later robbed Donovan that she would tell Carla everything about the affair, not caring that Carla was pregnant, or what it could do to either Carla or the baby, as long as she got her revenge. She even added Wait, the cherry Carla on top pregnant? of the cake by threatening to shop oh, both yeah, Rob yeah. and Tracy to the police for their dodgy dealings with Tony Stewart and their pawn shop, and Rob decided, well, that's going to be the end of original Tina. <laughs> While Rita stayed by <laughs> Tina's unconscious side in hospital, OG Tina succumbed to her injuries and left Rita feeling horribly guilty for the way things had ended between them. Jenny Bradley came back in 2016 after being sectioned for a year for trying to kidnap Jack Webster, and they eventually developed their close relationship again. Rita also took in Gemma Winter in 2016 and Gemma's brother Paul Winter in 2019, and that is that. Yeah, so lots of people who should be taking care of Rita, except for OG Tina, who is deed. Yep. What a fantastic <laughs> hindsight corner work from Christy. It kind of makes me feel a little ashamed that I don't put as much effort into it. Absolutely. As, as Christy does. But, you know, there there are moments when you're sitting there at the um, at the research desk or at the check-in, check-out desk, and you don't have anything else going on, and you finished whatever book you've been reading recently, and so you just say... I'm going to do some research for a podcast. <laughs> the second part of uh, Christie's uh, hindsight corner work will be next week. Uh, next week, when she tackles what the deal was with Roy and Haley. Haley. So, <laughs> so thank you, Christy. Well, thanks again for that. That's just wonderful. Absolutely, it's good to get another voice on. Absolutely, especially a Canadian one. Eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Got the music working. Woohoo! It only took a month. No, it's taken probably about two months to get this working. I was I was being generous. Too generous. <laughs>
See, you know, we have a bit of bass line coming in now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> it's last year tonight with me, John Oliver. <laughs> Here comes the drums, but there we go. This may be the only week that I can get this to work, so. Why? Because everything is set up so tentatively, I have things that aren't quite plugged into each other. Because when they're plugged into each other, they no longer work. So this is kind of half in, half out, and I'm scared if I hit this too hard, it's going to all just die on me. So, yeah. so that that might be the only time we can we can do that. You have a much sexier accent than John Oliver. Well, I'm not a pecan who no a toucan. Yeah. Well, I can't remember what it says. A hornbill. Yeah, hornbill that startled itself or something. Zazu is a hornbill, yes. So anyway, just enough time to quickly talk about hashtag pray for Duncan. This was a message that Sophie found on social media from Duncan's daughter. I was Gavin and you weren't there. What? Oh, I had had my surgery. You were replaced by friend of the podcast, sound engineer and thoroughly bloody nice bloke, Chris. Yes, that one. He was terrified. That's right. He was terrified. <laughs> he did a bang up job. He did a great job. No reason to be terrified. But no. what a nice coincidence that uh, last year we had a Chris and this year we have a Christy. A Christy. Man, it's been a, it's been a long year. Right. Spent like 20 years in that one year getting over the hernia thing and then. Yeah, you were in quite a bit of pain that morning and I had to go and try and get your uh, prescription. Yeah. At like eight o'clock, just as right, it opened, and then right. rush back and get you sorted out with that, yeah. and then and record then, a podcast. <laughs> and then I was in pain for most of that year. <clears throat> yeah, you went for an awful long time. You yeah. went in great shape. No, better now though. Yes, me, Mrs. Duncan, managed to get from Costa Rica to Weatherfield in under twenty-four hours. Sally's back on the street, and she jousts with Gina with an estate agent sign. Amy was up the duff. David Railroad's nicking to go into business with them with a brand new hipster barber shop on the street. And Sally's baked potato meltdown was our moment of the week. And Izzy going on about broccoli for 30 seconds was our boring moment of the week. <laughs> and that was Cornishon Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Bravo. <clears throat> and I was upstairs asleep. Yes. for High on pain now. <laughs> As a kite. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is... Oh, it's that lesbian friends thing again. <clears throat> On Monday, Liz is back from wherever it was she was. Yay! She was, and and she's she's golden now. She was at the she was at the Golden Globes. That's where she was. Right. She drops in to see Tracy and Steve and Amy, but Amy now lives with Emma, and Steve is missing in action. Steve, it turns out, is on Emma's couch and he talks to Amy about the row, not realising that Amy is well aware of what's been going on. He's no longer sure of Tracy's sexuality, then Amy admits that she knew and she begged Tracy to come clean. Mm-hmm. This but, whole I'm not sure about her sexuality thing, it's the only annoying thing about It's the most annoying thing about this whole storyline. It's, it's as if bisexuality does not exist on the show. Like, oh, she slept with a woman once. She must be gay. Well, she may be bisexual, but that doesn't mean that he's sure of her sexuality. Right, but they they seem to have jumped to, she slept with one woman, so she must now be a lesbian. Well, I'm not sure they've gone. No, they have, unfortunately. No, they've... No, but it's not the show, but the dudes on the show. You know, Steve's like, I can't trust her anymore because she might be a lesbian. Well, she might be. She's obviously not a lesbian because... She obviously loves the D as much as she loves the V. 
Yeah. Anyway. Liz is dressed up as Vegas Elvis when she goes over to see Steve <laughs> at the cab office. And she's not surprised to hear that Tracy has slept with someone else, but is confused when Steve says Paula. Paula, she says. Paula. Then when the penny drops, Liz just can't stop laughing. Has yeah, Tracy come out hilarious. or is she just curious? Steve says she's blaming him and doesn't know where this leaves them. Liz says, take it on the chin or call it quits. If he loves her, he should prove it. So Steve, well done, Liz. Steve comes into the rovers to see Tracy. He wants everyone to hear what he has to say. He's been thinking and has come to a decision, and he proposes to her. Remarry me, he says. No thanks, says Tracy. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> the night back at the rovers, Tracy thinks it'll take more than a romantic gesture to fix her marriage. They still haven't sorted out him getting his hole off of Leanne. They didn't sort it out, they just ignored it. Mm-hmm. Tracy has an idea how they can fix it, though. And the idea is to go to a couple's counsellor and she can already sense some tension between the two of them. They're blaming each other and they argue quite violently and something in the room gets broken and a, it's so, a clock. And a lamp is askew right, in the corner the, of the room. Yeah, somebody threw a clock, which <clears throat> they're going to have to replace. Right. The uh, counsellor suggests that Tracy names something positive about Steve. She can't. No. Steve, though, thinks that Tracy has nice hair. Oh. Not the best you can do. Well, at least he's trying, he says. And that's the hour up. The counsellor suggests that they try being nice to each other for a change. Not a great counsellor. Be nice to each other. What's, what's one... Jerry Springer. <laughs> Their counsellor's Jerry Springer. What's one nice thing about me? <sighs> really? Uh, you're very warm-hearted. Oh, That's so sweet. <laughs> so where are we going with this? You don't want to know something nice about you? I'm not as uh, as vain, clearly. <laughs> I was trying to be sweet. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm really hoping an awful lot of this is, is done now as far as the speculation about um, Tracy's sexuality. I don't really want to say too much about where I think this is going because I think it might get slightly spoilery. Oh, you have inside information? Uh, or have read things? Yeah, I've I've read some speculation about something something bad might happen which will solve, which will bring them closer together. Oh. Possibly. I'm not going to say what that thing is. I just think that there's... But I think There's they too will much invested stick- in this couple to yeah. to split them up. This is all just kind I of I think padding, they will stick maybe. together. I think it's you know kind of I kind of wish a part of me wishes that we'd seen the clock getting thrown, but at the same time, I found that whole thing really funny. Yeah, when you know we come back and there's a clock knocked over and the therapist is really angry and says, "You're gonna have to pay for that." And the lumps askew. Right. Yeah. So. I liked about a dishevelled room right. that was sitting perfectly nice before we cut. Mm-hmm. And then we come back and <laughs> they've clearly been quite violent. Yes. Although nothing funny about violence. No. No, nothing funny about violence. <laughs> but it was quite funny. Yeah, I hope they get it sorted out. <clears throat> nice to have Liz back. She's proven to be a bit of a... A bit of a... Uh, well, a counsellor as well. She's come up with the, the ideas to get Stephen... To make a decision. Absolutely. And maybe that decision is to split up, but just make a decision and then move on. I loved uh, her reaction to the whole Paula Tracy thing. I think she had the best reaction to anybody. Did you put just a laugh at it? Pretty much. Right. All the while dressed as uh, Vegas Elvis. Mm-hmm. Or 
the Oscar statue. It's a bit of Liberace thrown in there as well, yeah. I think, for good measure. That's a gold lamey. Cutting quite the dash. Absolutely. There it is. Our next storyline tonight is Tim's fucking dad. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't even fucking want to talk about this because I hate it so much. No. I mean, we're going to have to talk about it. We do have to talk about it. because I just, I just, I want it to be done. I want it to be over. I was really hoping on Monday that the end was in sight. But no, it's just gotten so much worse. It's gotten worse, but I think there's a little chink of light here called Kathy. But we shall get to well, that. Well, that was my hope, but it seems like Kathy's Ugh. No, I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll get to it. <clears throat> On Monday, Tim's fucking dad has been creepy and has made Jasmine eggs for breakfast. He pretends to sneeze because of all the dust that's in the house. Ugh, he can go fuck himself. <laughs> so Tim's dad has drawn up a uh, a colour coded rotor. Is there a worse thing in the world than a colour coded rotor? Well, this colour-coded rota where Tim's dad only has to take out the garbage and everything else is on Yasmin because apparently he now has a dust allergy. Yeah, which has come out of nowhere. Yeah, which is bullshit. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be very well balanced. Tim's dad insists otherwise and when Yasmin hums at him, he threatens to call a cleaning company. She says, no, it's fine. And then he goes off to volunteer at the hospital. Or what so he the says. hell, Yasmin? Take the cleaning company. <laughs> Seriously, that's what I out. would do. Kick him out. That's what Just I would kick do. kick him out. See, they're married now. I'd they're go, married I'd... now, so it makes it harder. Harder for her. Because she thinks that this actually means something. She I, After the previous marriage, she doesn't go into a marriage thinking that this is just this is, yeah, this going is, to last a month or two or a year the, or whatever. This, this is, is forever. This is the problem, is that she, she, for such an intelligent woman otherwise, she hasn't had an awful lot of experience in relationships. Sharif and Tim's dad. That's it. Oof. And both abusive mm-hmm. and both awful. So she's... Uh, but she's committed to it. When she makes a commitment, it right. means something that's yeah. not something that she can just tear up and forget about. Right. And speaking from experience, when all you've known is awful, you have no idea that there's something better on the other side. So I can, I really just, I sympathize as much as I am frustrated with her. But seriously, at this point, you know, if somebody, if you came up, you would never come up with a rota like this. But if somebody I was in a relationship came up with a rota like this, I would laugh in their face, and then it would do nothing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So Kathy sees Yasmin coming back from Dave's with cleaning products. Kathy wants to have lunch, so they arrange to go back to Yasmin's. A bottle of vino later, and Yasmin is getting nervous that Tim's dad might be home soon. Kathy sees this and reminds her about her own compulsive behaviour with hoarding. Yasmin insists that she just wants to keep the house nice and tidy and tells Kathy that she's never been happier and goes off to get another bottle of wine. Ugh. It's not cleaning that's taking over her life. It's being in a relationship with a man that she loves. Ugh. So Kathy and Yasmin are getting kind of gassed when Tim's dad comes home. He pretends to be easygoing about it all, but Yasmin is instantly worried. So Kathy leaves, and then Tim's dad suddenly changes his tune. He's surprised that she had time for this. She had jobs to do. She says that she did them, but he says that she didn't dust the skirting. He can't trust her to do stuff. And he knows she can't, she didn't dust the skirting because he made little red marks on it. Right. And see, see, you didn't you didn't do it because I marked it and the marks are still there. 
Mm-hmm. At which point I would say, well, you fucking had time to put marks on it. You have fucking enough time to clean it. Say, so get down there and clean it yourself, you stupid fucking asshole. I'm out of here. You can find me at the Rovers. I feel like I'm sitting across from Sarah Silverman all of a sudden. <laughs> but again, there was a time in my life where I would not be, get out of here, you stupid fucking asshole. So, meh. So... I hate Yas- the storyline. Yasmin thinks that he's overreacting and uh, was trying to catch her out. He can't understand why uh, he's being so petty. Tim's dad says, well, forget it, I'll do it myself. This house is a fucking disgrace. Which it's not. They struggle over the vacuum cleaner and Tim's dad slips and bangs his head on the table and sadly it doesn't kill him. I no, was like, oh. it doesn't even put him in a concussion. No, even his black eyes kind of piss, isn't nah. it? Meanwhile, next door, Faye's worried about the noises uh, coming from Tim's dad's house. Tim just calls it domestic. Faye wants him to go sort it out. No chance, says Tim. Uh, just, which makes me wonder about the kind of rose that Tim's parents must have had when Tim was small, and if this is bringing back bad memories for yeah. him. Once again, I think about Tim's mum and how she killed herself. Or just d- disappeared, because right. she's not really dead. Isn't she? No. Remember we... We hindsight cornered this like six months ago. Oh, I'll have to go check that out. <laughs> At ease, Christy. <laughs> Later, Tim's dad is busy cleaning. He doesn't have time for tea. There's too much filth in the house and then he storms upstairs. So Cathy sees uh, Yasmin coming back from the co-op. Cathy left her bag in the house and she wants to get it back. Yasmin tries to put Cathy off but her excuses are pathetic. So Cathy rushes through to the kitchen as Tim's dad comes downstairs and starts tearing a strip of Yasmin for being gone for seven whole minutes. Where have you been for seven whole minutes? When Cathy makes her presence felt, Tim's dad changes his tune and offers her a brew. Cathy nervously declines and shows herself out. Tim's dad blames Yasmin for the drinking, for the mess, and she's a fucking nightmare to live with. No wonder everybody leaves her. Sharif leaves her. Alia leaves her. Alia left because of you, you Z- stupid fucking asshole. <laughs> Zidane left her. Well, that was a good thing. Yeah. Then Kirk is at the Rovers looking for some work for Chesney. Oh, there's a thing I forgot to mention. Uh, Yasmin uses an excuse that Tim's dad's in bed with a migraine, which right. is why she can't come in. But when Cathy says, I hope your migraine's better, he's like, what migraine? Mm-hmm. So she's her cogs are turning again. Yeah. Kirk is in the Rovers looking for some work for Chesney. That's nice of you, Kirk. Emma suggests speed dial and Kirk is about to head off when Tim warns him off. Tim's dad and Yasmin have been having a right old ding-dong, he says. Cathy's in with Brian and overhears this. Cathy tells Brian about Tim's dad being a right evil bastard. She's going to find out what's really going on. And Brian concurs with Tim saying, oh, well, it's none of our business. And I'm like, what is this, fucking 1980s? <laughs> You're swearing a huge amount. <laughs> I'm sorry, this... this why couldn't he have been hiding in a box on Christmas? Why? <laughs> and what's going on is Yasmin is vacuuming. Tim's dad comes home. He apologises for having a go and losing his temper, but he's struggling with his health. It's a setback to his previous problems. He's trying to save his own life by wanting the place spotless. Which confused me because I thought that he had backtracked on this particular lie and made Yasmin to look... Like some weirdo, remember? Because yeah, Yasmin had said something to Sally about the fact that he had cancer or something. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. 
it turned out to be nothing. So if it turned out to be nothing, then why are we now bringing this back? That was cancer or a dodgy heart or something, wasn't right. it? Right. But then it, it, it turns out that it's Tim who has a dodgy heart and Tim's fucking dad can't even leave <laughs> Tim to have his own illness. Yasmin agrees Ugh. that his health must come first. Then Tim's dad reveals that he's bought Yasmin a gift. It's a vacuum cleaner. If you ever fucking bring a vacuum cleaner into this house as a quote-unquote gift, you will be sleeping in the garage, in your car. Mm. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Yasmin is struggling with her new hoover. She seems to have been up all night cleaning. Tim's dad, though, has been sleeping all night. He checks the road and is pleased to see all the ticks. This will help his allergies no end. Then Kathy visits Yasmin. She wants to check that Yasmin is okay after the other night. She realizes that Tim's dad is a monster. Then he comes in pretending again to be all cheery and he apologizes for being so shouty yesterday. Too many double espressos, he says. Kathy doesn't buy it, but makes her excuses and leaves. And on their own, Tim's dad isn't happy about Kathy coming round all the time interfering with her business. Later, Brian meets up with Tim's dad in the Rovers. Tim's dad is eating a pie despite just polishing off some soup at home. Brian quizzes Tim about his controlling behaviour. Oh, but it was soup from a can, so it wasn't good. Right. Meh. Tim's dad says that he's only like that to protect Yasmin because she's a total alky. This is news to Brian, who thinks Yasmin may have turned violent judging by Tim's dad's eye. Mm. Brian thinks talking to Peter might be a good idea, but obviously Tim's dad doesn't agree. Slightly later, Peter comes in and Brian corners him. So Tim's dad gets home to find Yasmin cleaning out the vacuum cleaner. He needs to talk to her. It's about her drinking. Other people are worried now. And there's a knock at the door and it's Peter looking to speak with Yasmin. Peter says you don't need to hide this any longer. Yasmin doesn't think things are that bad, but then starts asking Peter about his journey. Peter gives Yasmin his number, call me if you need me, and then he leaves. And Yasmin is like, what the actual fuck just happened there? And I'm a little pissed off by this as well, because as well-meaning as Peter seems to be, if he's actually doing the 12 steps, he should know better than to just to, to be jumping to conclusions and everything and, and making these assumptions based upon hearsay that came from hearsay. Right, because this is based on a conversation with Brian. Right. Who doesn't know one way or the Who other. Who had a conversation with Tim. Mm -hmm. Or not Tim, Tim's fucking dad. Right. So I, it's just for him to immediately just rush over and then speak to Yasmin with somebody else in the room and not to speak privately to her. I just... I, the, the patronizing going on in this show this week on poor Yasmin, just above and beyond the stupid Tim's fucking dad, is just... It boggles the mind. Later, Yasmin is upset that Tim's dad spilled his guts to Peter O'Brien. And Tim's dad reveals that Tim's mum was an alky and was abusive to him as well. Ugh. Every time Yasmin reaches for a drink, he's triggered. It's history repeating itself. He then accuses Yasmin of being emotionally abusive towards him, and he thinks that she <gasps> needs to stop the drink. She'd do it if she loved him. At the cabin, Kathy thinks the drink problem thing is utter pish. Brian says, who knows what happens behind closed doors? Oh, Brian. Like. Brian is totally fooled. It's so sad, he says. Addicts are such skilled liars. Ugh. Yasmin doesn't think she has a problem, but he lists all the occasions where her drinking caused an issue. Maybe she doesn't know her limits. He thinks if she was happy, she wouldn't be hammering back the bevy. What's more important, he asks, me or the booze? The yeah, booze. Got to say the booze. <laughs> he leaves, wanting an answer when he gets back. And I've never said this word on the podcast. You've said it twice. But Tim's dad is an utter... Cunt. 
And you haven't said it. She know. You haven't said it tonight, but you have said it on the show before. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I was building to it, then you just jumped in and you said it instead. So I've never actually said it. And this is not a word I ever use in in real life. Well, this podcast I w- would say I otherwise. Will, I will occasionally use the f bomb and some other things in real life. Occasionally, but I I don't really swear in real really life don't. because 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 of, because you do all of it, but <laughs> you do it for both of us. But <laughs> happy to carry the can on that one. <laughs> this I, I I've never called a real life person the c word before. And I mean, this isn't a real life person. This is a character a on a TV show. But still, I just... That's what it is. Oh. Kathy and Brian turn up at speed dial to talk to Alia about Yasmin's drink problem. And Alia just laughs it off. Has Tim's dad been spreading this? Kathy just wanted Alia to know what people have been saying. Alia agrees to speak with her gran. So Alia visits Yasmin. If she isn't cleaning, she's drinking, right? Alia's just... She seems to instantly know that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And she knows that it's Tim's dad. And she asks what he's up to. Yasmin thinks that she might have a drink problem after all. Two glasses isn't a problem, says Alia. Yasmin wants her to butt out. She's given up the booze. Now beat it. Right, yeah. I, it, it it confuses me how... Well, actually, it doesn't really confuse me. How Yasmin can be kind of sweetness and light and kind of cajoling and kind of sympathetic and kind of kowtowing to everybody else. But when it comes to her own granddaughter, whom she loves... Mm-hmm. She immediately dismisses her and is harsh with her and shouts at her. And it's like, Yasmin, this is somebody who actually loves you and right. has your well-being at heart, as opposed to the person you insisted upon marrying in Las Vegas. I think it's testament to how uh, successful Tim's dad's uh, coercion has been mm-hmm. that he's managed to not only get Yasmin to become his little puppy plaything mm-hmm. and totally subservient but he's also managed to poison the relationship that Yasmin has with Alia because Alia's now I think she feels quite separated from her gran and yeah. doesn't feel as much that she can do because she's tried to help and she's been told to butt out so many yeah. times and there's and only that's so many times it, you can keep on having the same and, conversation and that's exactly what abusers do they they try to alienate you from your friends and your family and he's done and, a fantastic job of doing that guilt you into putting all of your focus and all of your attention on them. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's heartbreaking to see. It is heartbreaking. He doesn't seem happy at all either. I don't fucking care whether it, or not he's it, happy. Is it just the, the, it's not even pleasure, but it's just the fact that you're, you have total control over someone. Is that what the, is that what the prize is? I'm not sure. I guess. But I mean, you're right. He doesn't seem, but then again, all of the times we see him, it's him with with Yasmin, and he's never going to be happy with her and, and all of this stuff. So, right. I don't know. Yeesh. Yeesh. Later, Yasmin is vacuuming again. In comes Tim's again. dad, and she tells him that he's off... That she tells him that she's off the booze and doesn't want to be compared to Tim's mum. Tim's dad isn't pleased. It's too painful. She's thrown out all the booze. Well, what about me, says Tim's dad? I'm not an alky. Oh, oh, he wants yeah, yeah. he wants her bank cards to make sure that she isn't having booze on the fly, and without a second thought, Yasmin agrees and hands uh, over her credit card. And that just like what? Makeup hug, he says. Mm. What? Why would you do that? Why would you just? It's a kind of symbolic act, isn't it? The kind of final bit of my own freedom. Right. I'm now 
handing to you, and it's now yours. It's awful. Oh, on Friday, Yasmin has made Tim's dad a breakfast. It was great, but minus some eggs because Charlotte isn't laying at the moment. He's convinced her to skip. I was worried about that. I'm, re- <laughs> and because this is the second why, time, why this the is eggs? the second time that we've mentioned the fact that Charlotte's not laying. Mm-hmm. I'm really afraid Charlotte is going to end up chicken roast on the table. He's convinced her to skip work and he'll go in instead. She asks him for some cash to buy some antibacterial spray and he's going to give her a £20 note then changes his mind and gives her a 10 She promises to give him the change and the receipt. He leaves and she's left thinking, how did I allow this to happen? You can see it. You can see something still of Yasmin there. She's just thinking about what what is happening. What am I allowing to happen? Ugh. A speed dial. Tim's dad is watching Yasmin at home on his laptop. Uh, she's uh, cleaning creepy. everything, and he still doesn't seem happy. Then Kathy bumps into Yasmin buying more cleaning stuff. Yasmin insists that she has a drink problem. Kathy asks about boot club, but there'll be wine there, so Yasmin declines. Well, what about lunch then? But Yasmin declines again. She has stuff to do. She rushes off, and Kathy looks ready to kill. In the cabin, Abby has passed her GCSEs. Yay! Well done, Abby. Brian is thrilled. And later, Kathy tells Brian that she's worried about Yasmin shutting herself away. Brian thinks that might be a good idea, and she has Tim's dad after all. Ugh. Kathy is unconvinced, and Brian thinks Kathy might be putting it away a bit too much herself. Ugh. Get yourself to fuck, says Kathy, and then boots Rightly Brian. So. And then boots Brian in the pie. Right. Rightly so. When Tim's dad comes home to a romantic dinner, he's brought her flowers. She's made a chicken dish. He thought she was making mutton though, and is disappointed. She says that she didn't have enough money. He says that she should have texted. Then he starts complaining that Alia buggered off at lunchtime and left him on his own, but then he compliments her on the state of the place. She tells him she won't be going to book club for a while, and he thinks that wise, and has brought some non-alcoholic wine home. And later, in the pub, Cathy and Abby and Brian celebrate the exam results, and Abby corrects Brian's incorrect quotation of the lady protests too much. Right, and Brian makes a snide comment to Sean about, you know, helping him to... Past whatever one, whatever whatever grades he you know failed at the first time around, and Sean says, "I will have you know that I passed everything." Yeah, three A's and two B's or something. I just prefer to pull pints and fix knickers. Right, which is rightly so. Good on you, Sean. So guess how many fingers I'm holding up, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is. I just uh, wanted to end. I really end. You know, I appreciate that they are taking their time and and building this up. I I do. However, there have been so many storylines that really should have been given more time to build up and <laughs> went by quickly. And then this one time where I really wish it would go by quickly because it is almost physically impossible for me to watch it. Right. I just, just make it stop, Corey, please make it stop. I think we are starting to get, because it's just, it's getting so horrible. There isn't much further that it can go to be horrible unless we get to, like, some physical abuse. Yeah. It, which I really I, don't want to see. I, I I think that's how it'll culminate. I think that's what we're heading towards, and that'll be the, the breaking point. It's just my feeling. I have no idea. That's just what I think. But uh, I think... Last year, Chris and I spoke about this in the podcast because mm-hmm. he was the one that first breached this idea to me that mm-hmm. maybe just Tim's dad being a tit wasn't all there was to it. Maybe there was more. 
Right. And so it has been around about a year that this has been building and, up. Yeah, actually, it, even even before that, like when they were first dating and he was mad because she wouldn't put out. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is awful. And I was, I was still kind of on the fence with it. I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of sweet that they're showing that older people still have sexuality and, and issues and, and right. stuff. You actually had his back a little bit. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Not for very long, though. <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, this is this has been a really slow burn, and you know. Like I said, I wish I wish other storylines had been given such time to really breathe right. and grow, as opposed to this one that I just want to stop. Yep. Some a character that just was an irritant has become a kind of supervillain. Right. <laughs> but a different kind of supervillain, not a mm-hmm. supervillain that's going to Murder shoot up the place the or blow things up. It's just right. just psychologically destroy a lovely, lovely person. Right. And it still feels like more evil than feeling. Right, yeah. I'd much rather see Gary, you know, killing people, burying people in the woods than than this just constant, just winnowing down until there's nothing left of the actual Yasmin, Mm -hmm. you know? Ugh. Shall we move on? Please. Uh, Next storyline tonight, thank God. Carry on, Nurse Aggie. On Monday, Aggie is looking at a leaflet about returning to nursing, and Ed is surprised and kind of supportive, so long as she's sure. Later, Roy gives Aggie his support. The people who work in the caring profession need folk like Aggie, he says. Her intervention with Robert helped, he says, although I'm not sure how. Ed brings Aggie's mail to Roy's roles. Turns out that Aggie's been shortlisted for the Gazette Award by trying to help Robert and then failing to help Robert. Ed thinks this is a sign for her to return to nursing. Remember that time you didn't help anybody? Well... I'm sure she offered some comfort in his last oh, hours and probably kept him alive long enough for the uh, paramedics to come and get him and take him to the hospital. Because remember, he he didn't die until oh, he yeah, got to he, the hospital. He did look like he was going to survive and we were like, oh, and then he died. And then we we're like, yay! yay. <laughs> On Wednesday, at Roy's Rolls, Aggie's boring Bernie about how she used to be a nurse. Great, says Bernie. Now pop a cake in the bag for me. Right, and that's all that happened on Wednesday. Well, yeah, and and Bernie tries to get her cake for free. Yeah, no chance. No chance. So Aggie going back to nursing, is this the? I hope so because uh, then we'll stop with the jokes about the fact that she can't cook. Right. That's just. I'm just hoping for something a little bit more meaty for her to get her teeth into, in terms of storylines. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if uh, this this thing in the Gazette um, about her, if that will dredge up whoever the family of whoever it is that she accidentally poisoned, and if that's gonna <laughs> cause some issues. I don't know. We'll see. We'll no, no, do something that with it. Like I just drama. Yeah. I just like I just like having Aggie storylines. Yeah. It makes me happy. So we'll see where that goes. Oh, there's so many just little bits and pieces here. So here's another one. It's uh, to Tim. On Monday, in Roy's roles, Sally's off to see Gina. Tim realises that this, because Tim's got his head screwed on, right? Mm-hmm. Tim knows the lay of the land, and he very, very quickly realises that this is just her way to get away from him. Right. Brain of written, Tim. Yeah. Well played. 
They love each other, but it's killing her that he's married to someone else. And she needs to figure out a way to deal with this. And she's not going to be able to do that in Weatherfield. Right. Tim nice go- to hear uh, Gina mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I miss Gina. Me too. I like Gina. Me too. Tim is round to see Imran. Imran thinks that there's a chance that he'll get away with divorcing Charlie, but it's a massive risk. Tim doesn't care and asks Imran to start proceedings. And Imran's like, well, you're the boss. Yep. Tim is in the rovers texting Sally. He tells Emma that Sal is visiting Gina. Emma thinks it's lovely that they remain friends after Gina sent Sally to prison and tried to get her whole off of Tim. <laughs> well done, Emma. How does she know that? <laughs> everybody knows that. Well, I guess everybody knows. So this is Sally out of it for a wee while, I guess. Which and is good. She, she deserves a break. How do you think this Tim's divorce proceedings are going to go? It can't go smoothly, surely not. Yeah, surely not. This is a soap opera after all. I'm not sure. I'd still remain unconvinced that authorities have red flags. I don't think there's like a computer system somewhere that's going to start flailing its arms about because Tim Metcalf's applying for a divorce and I don't, has, I don't has think, been married twice. I don't think that there will be red flags about the divorce necessarily. I think the red flags would be if he divorces her and then immediately gets married to somebody else. But, I mean, why? Exactly. What What, what computer? I I, I guess because, you know, he's broken the law as a bigamist, but he didn't know he was a bigamist, and he's not really... Nobody's going to press charges against him. No, yeah, this isn't... This isn't the case where he's, you know, conning one woman over another. He never actually lived with Charlie. No, he got his hold of her and that was it. Pretty much. So I don't... I don't know. If only we knew some lawyers. (laughs) I mean, I can understand why bigamy is a crime. Because it protects the vulnerable. Correct. But somebody has to make a complaint. Yeah. And nobody's going to do that. No. And the computer with the flailing arms that's waiting for Tim Metcalf's... Danger! Danger! <laughs> right. Danger, Tim Metcalf. Danger. I don't think that computer exists. Which is a shame. A <laughs> oh, little computer that just... With flailing arms going, danger! Danger! Maybe some steam coming out of it. Flashing lights. They did a reboot. T- ticker tape just falling out of it for no reason. They did a reboot of Last in Space on... Uh... I think it's on the Netflix. Oh, the Matt LeBlanc thing? Yeah, but that was based upon a show in the 50s. Right. That was was some time ago, though, wasn't it? Well, the 50s, yes, was some time ago. No, it's the Matt LeBlanc But then Matt LeBlanc had a um, Lost in Space reboot movie, but this is an actual Lost in Space TV show. Oh. Parker Posey's in it, so. We've officially run out of ideas. Eh. Because now we're doing Lost in Space for a third time. Eh. <sighs> anyway. Anyway. Parker Posey. Mona Tim. Our next storyline tonight is Roy and Nina. And Yay! this was just like lovely. It was bright shining light in my week. Oh, wasn't it though? It was lovely. Oh, let's just enjoy how lovely this storyline was. Except for certain parts oh, of yeah. it. <laughs> On Monday, Roy and Carla are back from Richard's funeral. It was busier than expected, and there was a guy from a skiffle band who played a tea chest bass. Gina, though, wasn't... Gina? It was Paul McCartney. Nina wasn't interested in socialising. 
Roy's worried about her, but thinks he should keep his distance, and then Carla convinces him otherwise. So Roy goes to see Nina, and eggs have been pelted on her door for some reason. He offers to help, it can't be ignored, and she just lets him in. Roy's cleaning the door later, and wants to tell the police. Nina tells him to drop it, reporting it will just make it worse. Roy wants her to move in with him, but she insists that she's fine. Back in the rover, she's just continually insists that she's fine. Yeah, fine. I I don't think she's fine. You know what she is? Not you, fine. You know that meme of the dog in the flaming house? Oh, yes. And the dog says, this is fine, <laughs> you know, and then drinks some coffee and, yep, this is fine, and then eventually it's just a skeleton. Girl, yeah. same. <laughs> so, uh, back in the rovers, Roy fills in Carla on the door, egging and the offer of accommodation. He feels responsible for Nina. So on Wednesday, Roy's background at hers. Nina says everything is fine, except her sewing machine has packed in and her coursework due her coursework is due in tomorrow. I wonder what course she's doing exactly. Wasn't she drawing bats the other week? Yeah, but she's also she's going for a, a fashion degree. I yeah, believe. it's a draw bats and stitch things PhD. <laughs> Unless he's a seamstress, he can't help, and she closes the door on him, and Roy sucks on a thoughtful tooth. They return sometime later to Nina's with Haley's sewing machine. How kind, says Nina. Haley sewing machine from, from the, the 1800s. <laughs> it's a steampunk sewing it's machine. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, here, here, poor Dina has been saying that uh, her sewing machine was so old, you know, that it finally bought the farm. And here's Roy lugging in this 100-year-old. <laughs> right. Haley was a professional seamstress. She should have had... A better sewing machine than that. Right, it's like saying if her laptop had suddenly gone complete, Roy goes away and comes back with a typewriter with, with Haley's Commodore sixty four and says, <laughs> "If you hook this up to your t- oh no, your your telly's not going to accept that. Oh, I'll be back." <laughs> <coughs> How nice, says Nina, and she genuinely means it. I think anything mm-hmm. else I can do, asks Roy. Well, hold your horses, says Nina. So the next <laughs> we see it. And Nina has Roy in a corset. I love it. How fetch. Roy talks about Haley and her skills and being an outsider because she was transgender. Roy is not one inch uncomf- uncomfortable talking about this. He doesn't miss a beat. Mm-mm. They chat about transphobia in, uh, these days and how Haley might have changed people's minds because she was so lovely <coughs> and she was his rudder. Mm-hmm. Nina thinks Haley sounds like her mum who actively encouraged her goth thing. And Nina thinks the world is obsessed with changing. None of us are all that different. Nina asks what he would change, and without missing the beat, he says he'd have Haley back. And that... Was so lovely. Broke my heart a little bit. Absolutely. Oh. Oh. What can it was say? great. Just tremendous actor. So Haley had already had her operation when she met Roy, so that... No. Yeah, that's what he said. No, she, she was flying off to get her gender reassignment when he finally admitted that he loved her. Oh. But she'd already transitioned. She was living her life yeah. as Haley, yes. Right, yep. Not Harold. Right. And that's how they got away with casting a woman in that role. Yes. Mm. So Roy's looking fancy in his corset when someone throws a brick through the window. Yeah, that was pretty... That that startled me. And me too. I uh, screamed a little. After, I was like, <laughs> what the... F- <laughs> after coming off the back of such Yee! a lovely scene. Well, how did you go again? <laughs> okay. So, Nina admits that the problem is with the dope dealer upstairs. She's complained about them uh, before, and this is what happens. Still, she doesn't want the police involved, as it just makes matters worse. And Nina has tidied up, but Roy wants her to stay with him, at least for tonight. (coughs) But there are too many memories here, and she can't leave. Then Roy goes to go 
while still wearing Nina's corset. Right, but it's under his sweater. So, so there's a scene where he pulls it up. And there it is. Underneath his sweater. It is delightful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> on Friday then, <clears throat> Nina arrives at Roy's Rose with the sewing machine. Cathy compliments her on her dress, which Cathy can tell is homemade. And Nina calls it her morning dress because she's got a kind of black veil as well, hasn't she? Right. She also has a lock off her dad's hair in her necklace. How Victorian. Lock it. Roy tells her that the sewing machine was a gift and she needn't bring it back and he sends her upstairs for a cuppa and Roy is very proud when he calls Nina My niece Yep, to Cathy Absolutely It was nice Sean was kind of a tit though <laughs> Well, I'd hate to see what you wear in the evening Right Pum pum But then uh, he got shot down Yeah My dad's dead Yeah Shut up Seriously Upstairs, Roy notices that Nina's now carrying an injury. It was a dog bite from the neighbours. Oh, dear God. So Seriously. So, Roy doesn't like her being there, but she calls it home. They realise that neither of them have plans for the day, so uh, Roy suggests that they go to a museum or something, but Nina just wants to have a game of chess. Yeah, she's not very good at it, but she, think, she thinks it'll remind her of her dad. So, Roy tells an anecdote about a fake mechanical chess player in the Napoleon era, and it fooled people for eighty years. Yes, this is a this is a, a famous a famous story. I've seen I've seen pictures of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Nina says people believe what they want to believe, and then she checks Roy. Truth will out, says Roy. He was under the impression that Nina wasn't good at chess, and it turns out that she's actually not that bad at all. He asks her to be truthful about how she's coping. He sees the trappings of mourning, but there's no visible mourning. Uh, he says that he internalises his own grief. And that didn't get him uh, very far. She says that she's ex- externalising her own, just like the Victorians. And he kind of poo-poo's that a little bit. Mm-hmm. He reveals he sleepwalks when he's not coping. And she says, well, I don't do that. And she isn't keen on this discussion and encourages him to hurry up. Later, Nina seems to have Roy cornered and enjoy some chess metaphors. The queen can move anywhere, she says, and the king is weak. She wants to stay where she is. She refuses to be thrown out of her home. Nina realises that Roy has checkmate in two moves and congratulates him, but she's still not going to move in. No. She's totally going to move in. Eventually. It will will come to a point where she doesn't have a choice. Right. And then she'll move in. I mean, good for her for standing up for herself. Yeah. I'm although happy that she I didn't would, just immediately... Although I would totally move in with Roy immediately if people were throwing bricks through my window. And dogs are biting me. Right, yeah. Which kind of makes the egg throwing a little bit juvenile, doesn't it? Eh. Well, it seems like it's been escalating and stuff. The weird thing is, is that none of this stuff happened before Richard died. Do you think this whole grassing up of the... Dope dealer happened after Richard died, and this is recent. I don't know. I got the impression that this was a long-term thing, but you're right. right. There was no, there was no evidence of this before. Mm-mm. In fact, there was no evidence of this before this week. I don't think. Was no, there? no. Was there any clues in the hallways that we saw? No, not really. Call anything. I don't think anything. There's was some amiss. garbage in the hallway this week, but it's mm. the neighbor upstairs, so there shouldn't be. I don't know. She's moving in. I think we can all see it coming. Absolutely. And in six months' time, she'll be Alison out at the breakfast club. No, she won't. <laughs> Our next storyline tonight is Daniel. Was Daniel in that again this week? Yes, he was. You remember, okay. Yeah, I remember at this time. On Monday, it's Bertie's birthday. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Daniel has a night of Happy beer. Happy birthday oh, You're not going to do the whole thing, are you? Happy oh, you birthday, are. You really are. <laughs> dear Bertie. 
Happy birthday to you. And many no. more. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel has a night of beer and milk and watching the movie planned. But sadly, the movie well, is a Sinead video. That milk is going to curdle in his stomach <laughs> if, if it lands on the beer. <laughs> Maybe that's not the only thing that will curdle it. Oh. She's wearing a birthday hat. Bertie doesn't care. And Daniel cries. Yes. But not as badly as he has cried before at these videos. Do you think Sinead didn't let Daniel grow a beard? <laughs> and that's why he has a beard now? Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought that she would have liked a beard. Maybe this was uh, a sign or a... a, a I think maybe this just... was a property of the relationship that we never saw. Was Sinead going, get yourself shaved before you get that door, you think? <laughs> maybe that's what happened. Maybe it's just that he's... Not really taking care of himself because he's grieving, and so he's growing a beard. That's always possible, I guess. Hmm. Or, is this penultimate? Is is that it? I thought there was a little bit more of uh, oh, no, God, Daniel. We've got, we got some more to go. No, there's no, more, no more Daniel. I thought, I thought for sure there was... No, we're just I getting... thought he bumped into Bethany or something this week, didn't oh, he? If, if you did, I missed it. Oh, okay. We're just got a couple of scenes of him every week just to remind us that he's sad. Yeah, and has a beard. Well, our next storyline tonight is Shona in a coma. On Wednesday, David is continuing to play Shona noises from a workplace, and surprisingly, this seems to be enough to stir her. Gail tries to temper David's hopes. He wants her to be more positive and not the voice of doom. And he goes off to get the school to record some noises from there. Maybe that'll help a great deal. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Later, Shona seems to be drifting in and out of consciousness. The medical staff think that it's still early days. David is continually told it's early days and he doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be hearing it. No. In the room, the medical staff think Shona's coming out of the coma and David encourages her to speak and she tries and then she looks like she doesn't have a clue who David is. Later, Nick mm -hmm. tells David that they'll get through this, but David is concerned that Shona didn't recognise him, but he's not going to let those kids lose another mum. Yes, which is a theme we've heard before. Right. The last time she got shot. <laughs> On Friday. David comes in to visit Shona with a new overnight bag. He kisses her on the pow and she wakes up. He asks how she's feeling and she tries to talk. He encourages her more and she's finally able to spit out that she hasn't a Scooby who he is. Uh-oh. He's worried that Shona doesn't know who Shona is and the nurse rather profoundly says that so much of who we are is based on memory. Right. Maybe the tests that they have planned for later will prove some answers. Mm -hmm. So the nurse is doing her tests on Shona. The tests, as it turns out, are... Can you identify a lion? Or a rhinoceros. Or a camel. It's pretty easy stuff. And then repeat these words back to me. And she's a little bit better repeating the words back. She gets a couple of them right. And then she goes back to uh, leg. leg. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't know what a lion is. Or a rhinoceros. And she, or a camel. she gets quite upset about the camel. Poor thing. The nurse explains to the family that communication skills are coming on, but cognitive and memory skills are lacking. David asks if it will improve, and the nurse thinks it's tricky to tell at this stage. She wants to move her to a neurological facility and give it six months to a year, or maybe as long as maternity leave lasts. <laughs> David isn't convinced. He thinks Shona needs the right triggers. And the trigger, he thinks, is going to be the kids and Gail, or really the kids. Mm -hmm. He reckons this will help Shona, and Gail's worried that it'll distress the kids, but David has done his best to explain. Nick pipes up that he doesn't think that David should be using the kids like this. But then they all go into the room and Lily asks if Shona is poorly. 
She seems to recognise Max and she holds out her hand and grabs his, but then she calls him Clayton. Ugh. And Max is upset and runs out looking for a set of stairs to disappear up. Ugh. <laughs> I can understand it. You know, she recognises that he is a child of hers. Right. And the only word she can find is Clayton. I don't think she's really calling him Clayton. No. Unfortunately, that's the way Max takes it. Right. Just like Bethany didn't think Ugh. that Daniel thought that she was Sinead. Right. When he got knocked down by Kathy that time. Remember that right. time? Kathy yes. ran down David, Daniel. Yeah, that was funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so David goes after him and he tells Max that Shona didn't mean to call him by the name of the kid who killed his mother. Max decides to go to town on this, telling David that he hates Shona and hopes that Shona never comes home. Uh, yeah, so we're back to this again. Tell you, says Gail with her eyes. In the waiting room, David thinks he's going to have to take care of this himself. He asks Gail to go home to pick something up for him, and Gail does so and comes back with a package. David takes it into Shona's room, and it's their wedding album, something that Shona made herself. He talks about their wedding day and shows her the photos, reminding her of their vows, and that uh, focus on the donut, not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Shona seems agitated as David continues to talk about their wedding, but she still doesn't remember. He becomes a bit too aggressive, wanting her to... uh, A bit? Okay. A bit too aggressive? Very aggressive. And now she's coming to throw him out. As he leaves, Shona says that she doesn't want him in here ever again. Back home, Nick and Leanne explain that Max wants to be let alone, but Nick has tried to talk to Max about brain injuries because he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. David doesn't want to hear it. He's scunnered and goes off to the pub. And he gets mad at Nick because he's like, why do you always have to turn these things into conversations about yourself? Right. And Nick is like... Don't blame me. The Bed Price fan page kept <laughs> nagging about it on Twitter, so we had to mention it somewhere. Right. Nice one, Ben Price fan page. It's all your fault. <laughs> Gail turns up to the pub to see David and apologises. They're all worried about him, and she gently reminds him that the rehab uh, facility might be the best place for Shona to get some help. Yes. That's as far as we get with that story this week. Recover from giving birth to a baby. Right. Out of her head. <laughs> oh, she's Zeus. Yeesh. You know, uh, Athena was born out of Zeus's head. Thanks. Our penultimate storyline. Oh, oh wait, no. you knew that? Mm-hmm. That's quite famous, isn't it? Yes. Oh, before we move on to our next storyline, there are people on the internet who don't understand that it's the twenty-first century. So I never know what people know and what they don't. I can't assume anymore. Sure. So I think we're getting set up for show not to get. Right, and and dragged off to this facility wherever it is, and right, and then occasionally months. people will say to David, "Oh, how's Shona doing?" And right. he'll say, "Oh, she's getting better." I quite like the way that they've done this. Mm-hmm. It's it it's it works satisfying. It, for, it works well, mm-hmm. and it gives David some opportunity to get some concerned acting happening, and right, and people to kind of rally come around, around and him, support and him, and support him, and all and that stuff. stuff. It'll be nice. So, yep. So that's where we're going with that, I think. Our penultimate storyline tonight is Bernie, the plausible teenager. Hey. On Wednesday, at Roy's Hello. Rolls. Hello, Hello Phil- kids. <laughs> at Roy's Rolls, Steve Buscemi. No. <laughs> <laughs> at Roy's Rolls, Bernie gets a call from Paul. They seem to chat about Kel, and she tells him that the law aren't interested unless there's evidence, reminding us that she's catfishing Kel just really, 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 really slowly. Yes. Bernie goes home, Kel hasn't replied, and then suddenly he does, asking for a one-to-one session for DJ lessons, because that's definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. In the pub, Bernie reveals to Sean... 
Why? <laughs> Why would you reveal this to Sean, who you've barely ever had any interactions with? But probably know enough about that he can't keep his mouth shut. Seriously. Uh, that she has an idea to catch Kel. I do like Sean's shirt, though. Which forces Sean to make a reference towards a 1980s BBC cop show. <laughs> For the Juliet Bravo? Juliet Bravo, I think. Uh-huh. She admits to trying to catfish Kel. Sean doesn't think this will help and thinks that she'll end up in the clink herself, which is probably actually a decent bit of advice. She doesn't care. She just wants justice. And today, Kel has taken the bait. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, Paul is up and isn't hungry for the breakfast that Billy has made for him. He has more in his mind. He's still upset about the Kel thing. Paul's convinced he's getting away with it and Billy suggests that he just lets it go and then Sean, whose sole reason to be on the show is to spill other people's beans, reveals that Bernie is catfishing Kel and has got him to bite. Right. So Paul rushes ring to see Bernie. He, understandably, isn't too happy about this catfishing nonsense. But she's getting him justice, just like the police haven't. She shows what did the police say? She shows him the laptop conversation and apparently it's pretty strong stuff. Kel wants to meet today in the park and she plans to video it and then hand it into the police. Paul says that he'll go with, even if he thinks it's a dreadful idea, but he says he knows he can't stop Bernie. He didn't really try very hard to stop her, did he? No. <laughs> so there's a daft we scene accompanied by the Benny Hill music of Chesney changing nappies. <laughs> <laughs> and I've quite like the scene that. Yes, <laughs> The yak to yak music. <laughs> this is Gemma's handiwork. She's made a meme. Right. But then she's interrupted by Bernie Winter Live. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Hello, justice seekers. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> <laughs> she says she's in the park waiting to entrap Kel. She's pedo hunting at the Red Wreck. Gemma thinks this is a genius idea and heads off to tell Paul. And so she turns up at Billy's and they quickly deduce that Paul isn't there and he's not at work, so he must have gone with Bernie. Uh-oh. Billy does not think this is a mint idea. No. Yeah, because she's like, it's mint, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Billy says, no, it it's is not, not mint. mint. <laughs> they both rush off to intervene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Paul and Bernie are hiding in some bushes when they see Kel arrive with a bag of stuff. Bernie puts the phone in her pocket recording the audio. She confronts Kel near a bench, expecting someone, she says. Mm-hmm. And Kel more or less admits that he, was, that he was when he asks if all that was Bernie. Bernie announces that Kel was promising the, fif- the 14-year-old a good time. Kel attacks Bernie, but after a scuffle that Paul gets involved in, Kel runs away, leaving behind his plastic bag, run away, run which away. contains lager and condoms. Yikes. Subtle. We've got him, says, Ber- says Bernie. And I'm not so sure. And at the cop shop, the police aren't sure either that Bernie's efforts are going to be worthwhile. It's entrapment and it's probably going to be inadmissible and it's not illegal to carry a lager and condoms. No. <laughs> She's just making matters worse. She could have ruined any future case against Kel. Correct. Nice one. Yeah. The police are surprisingly restrained <laughs> in explaining this to her. I expected them to be much, much angrier. Yeah. About this. Yeah, you can't just go around being vigilante. No. Vigilante Bernie. There's a reason why the police can't do this. (laughs) Right. There's no evidence. You can't manufacture it. If it's inadmissible for the police to do this, what makes you think it's admissible for you to do this, (laughs) madam? I honestly don't know where this one's going. Bernie's obviously shown... Her impetuous side again and kind of diving in with two feet and trying to do the right thing and ends up doing the wrong thing. Do you think Kel will try to get revenge of some sort? Well, you're kind of poking the bear a bit, aren't you? Yeah. So he's bound to be kind of 
he doesn't know that the police aren't really going to be able to action it. Right. He has yes. no idea about that, so he maybe assumes they've that he's already, in trouble. They've already gotten him fired mm-hmm. from his job. And they talk about bringing him in and speaking to him. Mm-hmm. Which is just going to make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is kind of... I'm predicting the riot. I, I don't think it bodes well. Although he really does need to come to justice. Yeah, I think Paul is certainly deserving some Yes, some Paul this. deserves this. Yeah. Deserves justice. Okay, okay. Our final storyline tonight is gunning for Fizz. On Ugh. Monday, Fizz and Tyrone are discussing the situation with the girls and Fizz has agreed to come clean to the cops about the gun, but she won't throw Gary under the bus. And off she goes to do that. Meanwhile, Tyrone meets Gary and tells him about Fizzy's actions. Gary isn't pleased and predicts that Fizz will end up inside because of this. Gary seems to kind of know how these things work. Hmm. Hmm. Back at the furniture thing, Fizz confirms that she set the record straight without mentioning Gary. She's been charged and she's going to plead guilty tomorrow. Gary sighs, still thinking that she did the wrong thing by doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But he hopes that everything will be fine. Yeah, and then his name doesn't get into it. Right. And then the social turn up to see Tyrone. They're aware of the change of tune vis-a-vis the gun, but the girls can come home, but Fizz needs to move out as investigations continue. And again, this is something that would never happen. I don't think so either. No. The social says Fizz can't get any unsupervised contact. Either Fizz leaves or the kids go into care. Evelyn thinks it's best for the kids to come home and Tyrone, Tyrone thinks that they should stick together as a family and they can fuck the social. And it's ridiculous because they're like, no, we're aware of the whole gun thing. And that really has nothing to do with it. However, because of it, she can't live with the kids until it's sorted out. Was it that investigation they were talking about? or Because there is no investigation because she's just pleading guilty. Right. I thought it was the investigation into harming Hope. I have no idea. Later, Fizz comes home and Tyrone explains what's happened. Fizz is team Evelyn on this. She doesn't want to move out, but she has no choice and she finds a B&B. Right. Tyrone then explains to Evelyn about the gun and how Jade grassed her up. Then this is... Why does she have to go to a B&B? Why wouldn't Kev have given her a room the way he did the kids? Or she can go and... Isn't there somebody she could stay with? Was there a stipulation that she had to move off the street? I can't remember. I thought it was just she couldn't be in the house. I can't remember. Oh well. Then Ruby and Hope are home. Ruby is excited, Hope less so. Evelyn wants to quiz Hope, but Tyrone intervenes. Let's let this lie for a little bit. Fizz is staying with a friend and she'll be gone for a wee while, he says to the kids. While they're on their own, Hope is drawing and Tyrone asks why Hope is lying about Mummy. But Hope refuses to grass up on Jade because snitches... Get stitches. Exactly. Tyrone- and she's really... She's a bit creepy about it, isn't she? Cause she mm-hmm. just keeps drawing and, you know, pretending that he's not even there. Yeah, it's very Michael Myers. Very. <laughs> Ding, 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 Don't sign her up for any hockey classes there, Tyrone. No. Don't buy no William Shatner masks. Because <laughs> that was the Michael Myers mask was. Tyrone meets Fizz outside. I it was a hockey mask, a goalie mask. That was Jason, for he's from Friday the 13th. Michael Myers was Halloween with a uh, painted white William Shatner mask. Was that William Shatner that was supposed to be? Yeah. Just, it was, honestly, William? it was just a William Shatner mask that they got from a uh, joke shop and they just painted it white. I think they spent like five bucks on it. How does William Shatner feel about this? I don't think anybody asked him. <laughs> <laughs> and if I could do a William Shatner impression, I would do one now. I, I am very 
disappointed. <laughs> you sound like Dev trying to do a wave. I knew I would do that. In my head. I am disappointed. There we go, that's better. Tyrone meets Fizz outside and explains about Hope ignoring him. She's changed, he says. Jade has brainwashed her, says Fizz. Ty comforts her, assuring her they'll all get through this. Although, based on what, I'm not exactly sure. On Wednesday, Tyrone and Evelyn are home. He thinks Jade must have acted like this before and wonders how she got a job at the pupil referral unit. That's a good point. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Tyrone. (laughs) Why did she say all these things? Tyrone can't stop thinking about Fizz at the sentencing. Because he can't go? Huh? Does he go at the sentencing? Yes. Is he? Okay. At the court, Imran thinks that Fizz might get a suspended sentence, but Fizz is sure that she's going behind bars. She handed herself in and pleaded guilty, so maybe that'll help. Then they're called because the sentence is due to be announced, and Fizz is getting sentenced. It's drawn out, but she gets four months, suspended for two years, and a £500 fine. Fizz thanks the magistrate. She's so relieved. I'm surprised they didn't have, like, they didn't call in witnesses, like, you know, her boss, Gary. Don't have to do that if she pleads not guilty. Oh, okay. If she's guilty, there's no, there's no case to answer. All right, okay. Although she could have called in character witnesses, I guess. Oh, right, you would have thought. But she didn't. Fizz, that's probably a good thing. I saw something. This is maybe a little bit too uncharitable, so I might cut this out. Uh-huh. I saw somebody on Twitter say that if you just pause any time that Fizz is on the screen, she looks like she's high. Mm-hmm. Fizz is back home and everyone is happy that she didn't get banged up Fizz then sees David and rushes over to apologise for bringing the gun onto the street But he does not take this well and tells her to get out of his face Well, get what, do you, what do you expect? At the pub, Jenny thinks Fizz has blood on her hands and throws her out She's barred Fizz, who was hoping to get into the <sighs> Rover's B&B, is a bit miffed by this So she doesn't have to move out of the street if she's hoping to get to the Rover's B&B Right So she probably could have stayed with Kev Hmm it's it's a bit unfair of everybody, you know. They're not really listening to what exactly happened. It's not like she brought a gun onto the street that she thought was live. She thought she was doing something great for Gary. Here's mm-hmm. this wonderful find Antique that gun, yeah, right. that's decommissioned. She was told it was decommissioned. The person that really needs to go to jail is whoever sold it to her, right. claiming that it was decommissioned. And I don't know why people are all... Well, they're not really. They're like, oh, forget you're... It. I had a thought that didn't make sense. You're horrible, Fizz, because you bought a gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why this this soap opera would never work in America. <laughs> On where Friday, we eat guns for breakfast. Uh, don't get me started. On Friday, Fizz <laughs> catches up with Beth and Izzy in Roy's roles, but neither of them are interested in sharing a table with her. But Gary calls Fizz over, and he tells Beth and Izzy to grow up. They taunt Fizz about losing her kids rather nastily, and Roy yeah, offers Beth his was help. awful. Yep. Fizz apologises for everything. Tell that to Robert and Shona, says Beth. Beth's gone back to normal. Uh, <laughs> Remember when Beth was... Was, you know, pulling what? for her family mm-hmm. and, yeah. Fizz tells Gary that Hope will be speaking to the social tomorrow and hopefully Tyrone will have talked some sense into her by then. And meanwhile, Jade's in her flat, leaving a message on Hope's phone, asking her to text. She hasn't heard for a while, she hopes she's okay and she tells Hope to be brave. Ty and Evelyn are taking the girls for lunch and Jade comes round the corner and Hope initially runs to her but is then shuffled quickly away by Evelyn. Ty takes great pleasure in telling Jade that the kids are home and Fizz will be back once he works on Hope for a bit. Right, because at first she's like, why do you have the kids? You shouldn't have the kids. I'm going to tell, tell the social that you have the kids. And he's like, the social's the one who brought them home, so get it right up here. Right. 
At Roy's roles, Tyrone reminds Hope the importance of telling the truth. He knows Jade told her to lie and Hope wants to see Mummy again, but what she really wants it's is chips. some fucking chips. At first she says she wants a salad because Jade eats salads mm-hmm. and Evelyn says, why would you want rabbit food? And then she doesn't want the, <laughs> and then she doesn't want the salad that she got. Right, because she's like, oh yeah, that's why I didn't want salad. Right. So Jade approaches Fizz in the street and creates a scene shouting about the bruises on Hope. Fizz goes to react, but is interrupted by Evelyn, who grabs Jade by the scruff of her neck and tells her to sling her fucking hook. Are you threatening me? Fucking right I am, says Evelyn. Now bugger off, you bitch. Right, seriously. Oof. Huzzah! That was brilliant. Evelyn was fantastic. Oof. Ugh. Just, it did my heart so good because she does that and then she immediately pulls Fizz into a hug and tells her it's going to be okay. And right. I'm just like... Oh. And that's enough for Jade to scuffle away with her tail between her legs. Right, yeah, and she tells everybody else to stop rubbernecking because <laughs> she's so Brian, good. because she's Brian so good. and Kathy are over there sweeping up in front of the cabin, and Nick is walking by with pizzas, <laughs> and then there are some nondescript people staring as well. Are Brian and Kathy sweeping without looking at what they're sleep- sweeping? I bet yes, you they were. Yes, <laughs> love that. <laughs> and Nick is walking by with some empty pizza boxes. Trips over his own feet. Because Leanne said that they were going to have pizza That's earlier. Right. <laughs> oh, no. Nice how it all comes it all full comes circle, back. doesn't it? So, uh, Fizz and Evelyn retreat to the furniture thing, and Evelyn has a hip flask for emergencies like this. Fantastic. <laughs> Fizz takes a swig, thinking everyone will believe Jade, who, knows, who nobody knows. Right. So why is anybody going to take... Jade's word over Fizzy's. Because it seems like everybody hates her because of the stupid gun. Every now and again, everybody hates Fizz. It's just, it's just what happens. Well, it seems like that happens to everybody. Every now and again, everybody hates one person. Evelyn thinks that Hope will crack and tell the truth, but Fizz is worried that Hope wants to live with Jade and that she loves Jade. Evelyn insists that everything will be fine. Now get wired into that booze. And later, Fizz goes back into Rovers, but Sean tells her that she's barred and throws her back out. And he's actually quite sympathetic about it. He, he doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Jade is on the phone to who? A travel agent? Uh, a travel an airline. Agent. An yeah. airline in 2020? Apparently. And she's got Hope's passport. Yeah. And How she, did she get a hold of that? And she orders two single tickets. We won't be coming oh. back. <laughs> right, who says that? Do you want to return her one way? Oh, just one way. I won't be coming back. Right, yeah. Red flag Red at the flags. airline. Red flag at the airline. The Tim Robot's arms are flailing again. <laughs> danger, danger. As it is, I, I would imagine that some... Because, uh, you know, she has to give her a passport number and all of that other stuff. That's why she has a passport. I'm sure red flags are going to go off by the fact that she's taking a one-way trip with somebody else's child. <laughs> Because he can't really do that. Yeah, there's just more steam and more ticker tape coming out of the, the town <laughs> robot. <laughs> oh, and that's how we finish this week's episodes. Oh. I like how this is building up again. Yeah, me too. And <clears throat> Jade's just completely off her rocker, though. She's why is she still walking loops. around? Why is she still walking around the street? Where is this flat? I thought the flat would be kind of... Ofsky. And how has she furnished that flat so nicely when That's a nice she was... flat. Right. She Rem- might be renting it furnished. Remember, remember two weeks? No, because when we first see it, it's empty. Oh, was it? I can't remember. I believe. Last week. But like... It's not like me not to notice, notice furnishings. <sighs> but like a month ago, as you'll recall, she was homeless. So was, was that an act then? It must have been an act, but it's she seemed like she really was because you didn't... 
You didn't see her really. She can't have been. She must have been. Uh, well, no, she she might because have because she just got this flat. She might have been. Where did she get the money for this flat? But knew that Fizz and Ty would take her in if she hung about the street long enough mm-hmm. and just pretend not to be wanting to be seen and stuff. Right. So it's, she probably was homeless, but that's probably part of her game to get right. Yeah. To get back under the under, her feet under the table, sort of thing. Yikes! Do you think she's going to get hope? Wouldn't that be horrible if that happened? I mean, I expect this to eventually have a happy ending where Hope is back with her parents. Right. But I expect things to get much, much worse before that happens. And I expect Hope to crack. And I expect Ruby to crack about things. Because Ruby has seen things. And Ruby has heard things. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. These kids are going to crack. Tyrone and Evelyn are still going to be... Probably behind Fizz, though, even mm-hmm. especially so, who, let's just say it again, was utterly fantastic, fantastic. this week. Loved it, loved it, loved it. She, she just doesn't put a foot wrong, I don't think. It's every scene that she's in, she more or less steals. It's yeah, it's just fantastic to watch. It's great to have a, uh, an actress like Maureen Lipman on the, on the street who's... Absolutely. It's so good. Uh, consistently good. Yeah. Just love it. Oh, your moment of the week. This is Sophie's I choice have, a little bit, isn't it? I have I have two to put to put forward to you. Oh, they're the same two that I have, I'm sure. Yes. Roy in a corset. <laughs> right. And Evelyn coming to Fizz's defence. Both of those were just so fantastic. I said to you on Wednesday that I was going to take something spectacular to uh, beat to boot Roy's just the Roy and the, not even the bit where I'm in the corset, but when he right, responds, but it's the whole scene with Roy in a corset talking about Haley and talking about, talking about love and you know and helping his niece and everything. Right. All that was was so good. It was so, it was, it was so great. I I almost made the moment of the week still on Wednesday because I was so right. sure that nothing was going to happen on Friday that was going to top that. Right. But then the Evelyn and Jade thing happened. <laughs> and, and I cheered. Was, me too. <laughs> me too. It was so good and I was so happy and it was so nice to see Evelyn come to Fizz's defense and be loving and supportive to her, you know. And gosh. And I know we give both of those, we give both Roy and Evelyn so many moments of the week right. because they're just so good. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I think I think we're going to have to give it to Evelyn and Fizz just because it was only like two or three weeks ago that we gave it to Roy and Nina Roy through the, through the... when they were doing their whole mm-hmm. Pyramus and Zisby act. Yeah, but it's an honourable mention to that. that was, yeah, absolutely. In, in any, any other week, that would have been that would yeah. have been the pick. But yeah, I think the Evelyn confronting Jade on the street is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. But they are both equal. Right. So. Your boring moment of the week. Is it fair to give it to Daniel again? <laughs> With his beer and his milk. His mm. milk and his beer. There was something else that was really boring, but I can't remember what it was. Probably something Brian said. I didn't think the Aggie stuff was all that exciting, to be honest with you. Well, I'm happy. I'm just happy to see her in the show anytime. Right. So I'm a little 
biased. And I'm happy to see that she's going to possibly be a nurse again. And I found it kind of interesting that at first Ed is kind of hesitant about it. You know, all of that kind of did interest me. It's like, oh, why is he being hesitant? Do you think he'd be supportive right away? It's got to be Daniel again then. Daniel. Daniel (laughs) drinking milk and beer. Well, I don't think he's drinking the milk. Well, I know, but I, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to get some humor out of this scene. Oofed. Where he's once again watching videos of dead show, a dead Sinead. I almost said dead Shona. She's not dead yet. No, she's not going to die. Okay, so I think this is for maybe the fourth or fifth week running. Daniel's Daniel's milk and beer is our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up? Yes, please. So if you have any interesting or unusual or peculiarly nasty ways that you'd like to see Tim's dad die, please drop us a line at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. Oh, absolutely, yes, please. I want to hear all the horrible ways <laughs> that disgusting piece of shit can die. <laughs> we are also at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com if you want to leave a voicemail on Skype or drop a couple of badgers into our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and we have a much forlorn blog at the Talk of the Street Podcast at WordPress.com. Correct. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next, next week. week with more Talk of the Street. Cheerio. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.